Well, guys, good morning. We are in week two of a series called Different, and the word different is often used to describe something that is unlike a person, place, or thing, as in that house is different or Uncle Frank is different. Now, different also means separate or distinct, and during the series, we're going to see that God calls you and me to be different, and he calls us to be different in a post-Christian culture. So not only does he call us to be that, but he gives us the strength to be that. And so being different requires having a different perspective. If God is calling you and calling me to be different in a post-Christian culture, that means we have to have a different perspective. It matters how we see things, people, and circumstances. And as we see things differently, then we'll be able to respond differently. So last week we gave you a brain teaser. We'll give you another brain teaser this week. Now, look at this picture on this side of me. Look at this picture. Wait, on this side of me. Look at this picture. Now, on this picture, what is missing in the box? What's missing in the box? In fact, it isn't the letter. It isn't the number six. In fact, it's the letter R. R as in reverse. It's the knob of a five-speed manual transmission. Now, the whole point of the brain teaser is to assure us that how we see life, how we see people, how we see circumstances, it all matters. It matters because if we're not seeing it in the right frame, if we're not seeing it right, then we're going to miss getting it right. And I don't want you, I don't even want myself to miss getting it right. So speaking of seeing things in the right frame, I want to share you a story because each of the following each of the weeks in different we're looking at a cultural issue and today we're going to be looking at people with different hues and views so there are friends that have been friends of mine for a very long time and they're no longer friends because you have friends of different hues are no longer friends because of different views and then there are friends of the same hues who are no longer friends because of different views and it's really sad and it's really frustrating First time I really began to ask my question, how do I like those who have an opinion that I don't like? So back in, it was 2010, I was, oh, 2008, I was working in a Home Depot in Dallas, Texas, and I was a minority um, working in the receiving apartment. And there was a guy who he and I worked for several months and we had no issues then all of a sudden, we had this argument. We were having a conversation, and it turned into an argument because he wanted me to do something that I didn't think that I needed to do. And I was like, well, I'm going to keep doing it the way that we're supposed to do it. He didn't like it. And then all of a sudden, he said to me, he said, you need to apologize for how your ancestors treated my ancestors. And I just said to him, I said, what are you talking about? Like, we're talking about this and yet you want to bring that up like that makes no sense and then he began to say that how i was treating him was no different than how my ancestors enslaved his ancestors and i said i have no idea what you're talking about my family was nowhere near here during the civil war my family was actually in bavaria germany and they came over on ships in the very late 1880s And they came over because there was a potato famine in Bavaria. They came to Ellis Island, and they eventually got to Pittsburgh, and they settled in Pittsburgh as bricklayers. I said, I have no idea where this is coming from, but 
please don't bring that into this. Then our manager came and that was the end of our argument. But it left me thinking, how do I respond, one, to a culture that is becoming more and more post-Christian, but also, how do I like people who have opinions I don't like? And look, I don't know about you, but for me, there's a difference between reacting and responding. Typically, when you and I react, I can at least speak for myself, it's usually emotionally driven. Like, I'm letting my emotions to get the best of me, right? I'm allowing my emotions to fly. And I don't give much thought on how I can be part of the solution. But when we respond, it's typically data-driven, and we give a lot of thought on how we can be part of the solution, on how we can make something better. Now, back in 2020, uh, in June of 2020, I was approached by people inside our church and people outside our church to provide a statement about sort of the racial tension in our country. And so I provided a statement three weeks later. So when they asked me, I provided a statement much later. And the reason why is because I didn't want to react. I wanted to respond. I didn't want to get it wrong. And so we said three, we said two things and we didn't say one thing that really offended people. And so this is the feedback that I received once the statement went out. One, we made mention of the injustice of the black police officers that were killed too. And people didn't like that. We also said that abortion was an injustice. And in fact, we've had people leave our church because we believe that abortion is an injustice. And then there was one thing that we did not say that people wanted us to say, and that was that we support Black Lives Matter movement. Now, we were clear, and I was clear. I could not support the movement. Of course, we believe in the statement Black Lives Matter, and the reason why is because we believe that everybody is created in God's image, but we could not agree with the movement because there were three things that they believed. Number one, they believed in disrupting the heteronormative lifestyle. You have a dad, a mom, and a child. Dynamic, they wanted to disrupt that. They wanted to disrupt the home. They wanted to affirm LGBTQ lifestyles. And then they also believed in globalism, like a one-world type of government or order. I struggled with those things and I, we put those out where we can support the statement but we cannot support the movement and their beliefs. Again, it upset people. Rebecca McLaughlin, she really provides some really good insight for followers of Jesus. She says this, Given the history of white evangelical failure to recognize black people as their equals before God, I gladly affirm that black lives matter despite the fact that an organization with the name expresses other beliefs I cannot embrace. So let me quickly give you some context because a lot of this stems from the Southern Baptist movement when she talks about white evangelical failure. Okay, if She says, if there were a secular organization called Unborn Babies Matter, I would say those words too, even if that organization also waved a rainbow flag because unborn babies matter. If I were concerned, people might think I affirmed everything else that organization stood for. I simply add two words, 
unborn babies matter to Jesus. When this happened, and we had friends leave, I struggled and I wanted an answer to the question, how do I like people who have opinions I don't like? And I struggled with that. See, Jesus really does respond to that question. We're going to be in Mark 7. And as we are in Mark 7, we're going to see how Jesus responded. See, Jesus saw and he elevated things that we ought to be elevating. On the other hand, our culture elevates usually the wrong things, whereas Jesus elevates the right things. And so we're going to be looking at this story. And to give you some context, Jesus lived in a time of racism. Jesus lived in a time of slavery and oppression. He, there was opposing cultures. There was sexism. And there was a form of like a class system within the Roman Empire. And Jesus modeled diversity pretty early on in his ministry. His students had different views. And they even had different hues. But he was committed. He was committed to this. So going into the story, let's keep that in mind, that he lived during a really rough time, more so than it is now. So this is what Mark writes, and most likely Peter is telling him this, and he's writing down on behalf of Peter. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre, or Tyre, depending on how you say it, Tyre. Let's go with Tyre. For... 40 miles north. So Jesus is leaving a primarily Jewish territory, going about 40 miles into Greek territory. Now, he was going into this territory, and it has statues built to gods. You had some Greeks that would have been walking around naked. You would be passing Roman soldiers, maybe some of them asking for your papers. Now, a people who oppressed the Jewish people. The Romans oppressed the Jewish people. Now think about it. Imagine what it would be like walking with Jesus and traveling with Jesus for those 40 miles. Imagine Simon. Simon the Zealot was with you. And imagine what's going through his mind. See, Simon was a zealot, and a zealot was a militant operative, almost like an assassin where he would take out, or those group of people would take out Roman officials and Roman soldiers because they wanted to elevate Israel. They wanted to elevate a Jewish state. They wanted Israel to be back in charge. Imagine what was going on in his mind as he's walking with Jesus. Imagine what, is, what, what he's processing. So... Story continues. Jesus didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. So Jesus wanted to go 40 miles out of the way so that he could spend some time with his disciples, his students. Because just a little bit down the road, he was going to be gone. So he wanted to really cherish and spend time with his disciples away from the crowds. Now, the only challenge was news was beginning to spread that he could heal, that he, had, he was a healer, that he had this healing power, and it spread into the Greek territory. Now, this territory 
was not known to have faith in God. In fact, it had faith in God's, not the Jewish God. But right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Guys, this wasn't just a woman. This was a mom. She's losing her daughter. Imagine having a son or daughter and not sure if they're going to make it tomorrow. They're not going to get it to next week. Imagine, imagine that. And so maybe she, it's assumed that maybe she tried the doctors or maybe she tried the magicians and, and, and in her culture and, and nothing worked. And Jesus was her last resort. And so she would, she fell. And in that culture, when you fell before someone, it showed great honor and respect, but also she was desperate. She was desperate for her daughter to be healed. Now, here's what's so interesting. Peter tells Mark this. Since she was a Gentile, meaning a non-Jew, she was born in Syrian Phoenicia. In so many words, Mark is describing that she's a Greek. She's not even a Jew. And it's not that she's from Greece, but she's from a town that was influenced by Greek culture. And this town would have been in modern-day Syria, Lebanon, and northern Israel. And the people from Phoenicia had a had a history being called the purple people. And the reason why is because they had purple dye used in their clothes that would actually stain them. And so two things that Jesus saw, he saw class and he saw color. He saw class and he saw color. Class, she was a woman. And back then, it was a culture dominated by men. So she may have been part of the citizen class color. She undoubtedly looked at Doc differently than Jesus and his students. So there is class and there is color in our culture too. There's economic class and there is color. And it's okay to see color and class. It's what you do with it that matters. Uh, I like this observation from Rebecca McLaughlin who puts some good light that's okay to see class and it's okay to see color. She says that the Bible is true However, God didn't just make our souls. He made our bodies. He, he made black people and white people, Asian people, Latino people, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, all equally in his image. This is the soul in which the roots of human equality grow. So not only did Jesus see class and culture, but he elevated identity. He elevated identity. She... Even though she wasn't a Jew, she was created in God's image. That meant that she was an image bearer. That meant that she had dignity, value. And he honored that. Guys, it's no different in our culture right now. Like We have atheists that are, that are communicating and teaching that humans have no natural rights. We're just like other creatures in the animal kingdom. We're like spiders and hyenas and chimps. If that's true, then slavery isn't wrong because none of us have rights. But all of us deep down inside know that that's not true. 
we all know deep down inside that there is something different with being a human. And Jesus recognized that when the Jews really didn't like the non-Jews, and when the non-Jews didn't like the Jews, he knew that they were created in God's image. Jesus never shot away from someone that looked different, that wasn't his people. See, you and I, we've been made in God's image. That's our identity as image bearers, that we bear God's mark. We bear God's image. And regardless of our hues, we've all been made in God's image, which means that God was intentional with how he created you, where he put you, and when he put you there. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, our identity gets even more clear. Not only are we an image bearer, but we are an adopted son or daughter of God. And that's our identity because out of that identity of being a child of God, I'm able, because I've been forgiven, I've been shown grace, I've been shown mercy, I've been shown compassion, I'm able to share that. I'm able to live that out as a husband, as a father, as a coach, as a pastor, as a friend, as a son, as a grandson. I'm able to live all of that out that way. Why? Because that's my identity. That's the hub of who I am. I'm a child of God, made in God's image. That's who you are. That's who I am. So the story continues. And Jesus again is away from the crowd specifically to to teach his students. And a lady shows up asking for her daughter to be healed. And he says, first... I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. And then what he's about to say is amazing. He begins to connect the dots with her culture. He says this, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. See, in the Greek culture, they had dogs as pets. In the Jewish culture, dogs were more like scavengers. So Jesus is beginning to make the connection with her culture. He says, listen, I came to save my people, but I also came to save people from all nations, tribes, and languages. I like how he makes the connection because Jesus saw culture. Jesus saw culture. He saw the Jewish culture and he saw the Greek culture. He saw it. There was tension between Jews and Gentiles, not just dress and language, but also belief. See, the Jews believed that the Messiah was going to come and set their people up, set their people free and set their people up as a powerful nation. And Jesus came not just to save his own people, but to save people from all nations. See, Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is first to the Jew and also for the Gentile. It didn't mean that the Jews were better than the Greeks or the Gentiles. What it meant was salvation was offered through the Jewish Messiah. See, both cultures, the Jewish and the Greek culture, cultures were filled with beauty, but also brokenness. A lot like our American culture. See, Jesus saw culture and he elevated hope. Notice what he didn't tell her. He didn't say become 
a Jew. He didn't say burn down your idols. He didn't say stop walking around naked. He didn't say apologize for how your ancestors treated my people. He didn't say that. But notice Notice like the connection that he made with her. Like it opened her up to say this. And this response is so clever. She replied, that's true, Lord. I get that. When I make dinner, I'm going to feed my daughter before I feed the dogs. Makes sense. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Like her response is this. Jesus, I want to be in too. I want to be part of this too. Jesus, I believe in you. I want what you are offering. See, she didn't allow their differences to stop her from requesting, Jesus, I need you to heal my daughter. And her faith opened up the smallest fraction of his power to heal her daughter. Notice this. It's a good answer. Now I want you to go home for the demons have left your daughter. For the demon has left your daughter. Imagine that. He didn't even have to go. He just spoke it. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed and the demon was gone. See, Jesus, he saw faith and he elevated healing. Jesus loved their answer. And for the second time, Jesus healed a Gentile from a distance. The time before was when a Roman soldier, a Roman commander, had his son healed at a distance. Even Jesus spoke to the crowds trying to inspire healing that his message was different. He was often found teaching that if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for for a mile, carry it too. He would say, pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who hurt you. See, guys, when our faith is on display, healing should be elevated. Healing should be elevated. When our faith is on display, it means that we'll keep Jesus at the center of our conversation. It means that when our faith is on display, it means that we're committed to the teachings of Jesus. It means that when our faith is on display, that we see people for who they are. They're image bearers. They're sons or daughters of God. When our faith is on display, we'll be able to listen and respond to the request of others. Guys, Jesus ultimately elevated healing as he died for our sins. And he rose from the dead, providing us spiritual life. Jesus elevated healing between our relationship with God. And through his death and resurrection, man, we find healing for our broken relationship with God. But that's not the only thing his death and resurrection did. No, it also bridged the wall between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles and Jews. Notice, there's this wall of hostility that was broken down through Jesus. Jesus did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups together as one body the church christ reconciled both groups to god by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death 
Guys, through his death and resurrection, Jesus provided us identity and hope and healing as the church. Like, that's what we are called to do. Regardless of different hues and views, we are called to love, we are called to serve, we are called to elevate healing. So, the question on the table, the question that I've asked myself over and over throughout the years is, how do I like people who have opinions I don't like. In those conversations with those people over the last couple of years since that statement has been put out, it's been helpful. I'm able to see people created in God's image. I'm able to see that they matter. And yes, we may have to say, we have to agree to disagree. But one thing that I've learned along the way is that Jesus wants me to put him at the center of the conversation. And I pray that's something that you and I both do. We put Jesus at the center of the conversation. Heavenly Father, topics like this can be really, really frustrating. They can be very difficult. But Father, I ask that as we go into these types of conversations, or maybe we find ourselves in these types of conversations, that we we would trust you. We would, we truly would be like Christ. We would elevate healing. We would elevate identity. So Father, help us to see people the way that you see them. Give us the compassion that we need to have the conversation Allow us to be listeners. Allow us to respond and not react. So Father, help us to have those conversations and do that where it honors you. Father, for some of us who are on the fence about Christianity, Father, help us not to see how the church has responded to things. No, no, help us to see how Jesus has responded. So I pray that they would investigate Jesus and not the church. Because in the end of the day, Jesus is what makes them right with you, not the church. So Father, allow them to See Jesus as healer, someone who is willing, someone who gave their life so that they could have life. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to have these conversations. In Jesus' name, amen.